0: I feel like we got a good hold on web fundamentals, CSS, we know all the weird hidden details that most devs won't know, and shouldn't need to know. But as framework developers and developers, somehow we need to know that box shadows are terrible for performance. And so we don't use box shadows.
1: Hi there and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host Paul and today we're joined with Mike Harrington. Mike is a senior developer relations over at Ionic and we're going to be talking about Ionic a little bit and we're going to be getting more specifically into stencil js and talking about the great things that it can do for us in the web world. Welcome to the podcast Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're a long time Ionicer, right?
0: I I feel like it's like the term Ah, uh, the for lifers. The for lifer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I will be here for life. Ah, uh, but yeah, I've been at Ionic for like eight years. Um, I joined, you know, twenty fourteen. It was we were just starting to release our first version of the framework. I it was like twelve people at the time. Um, I joined in and I was like, this is my first startup. Let's see what goes on with with tech world. I've never done this before, and I feel like I've made a big impact over this over these past eight years. And I still enjoy what I get to do.
1: When you when you first joined Ionic, you kind of said it was like, oh, my in the second version. So was there like a different version of the of of the product and company when you first joined?
0: Maybe not different version, but different rendition, because the company had been around for like a year before that building drag and drop interface tools. And after a little while, they were like, man, we're building tools for things that aren't that great. We could totally do a better job at it. And so we started building out our main you know, product that still exists today, the Ionic Framework. And we were just like, oh, this is, this is becoming our big thing. Let's discontinue all the other stuff and just focus solely on, on this product because that's where we're going to you know, be able to grow as a company.
1: So it was really like a natural, like, this is what's working. Let's make it work more. Yeah. And just just for folks who are listening who aren't familiar, what does Ionic do?
0: So Ionic Ionic is a platform for building cross platform apps. Uh, you can use HTML, CSS, and JavaScript build a app for iOS, Android, or for the web, uh, whether that be a PWA or just a traditional website. And you still get to have access to things like the file system, uh, Bluetooth, camera, you know, standard kind of rich device APIs. Uh, all through JavaScript, and get to reuse all your existing web skills, framework uh, knowledge, and the extensive list of dependencies that could exist in uh, NPM or whatnot. So we can use rich device APIs. We can use
1: whatever we want. You kind of make it, I shouldn't, caveat, not whatever you want. You can use a large variety, a large swath of things that you folks make available through like paradigms that everybody's used to. So, y'all must be really good at the web. <laughs> you really understand the web. Ionic is like you speak web, you guys it's like how Dory speaks whale, well, you speak web.
0: I feel like we got a good hold on web fundamentals, CSS. I wouldn't say I don't we we know all the weird, hidden details that uh, you know most devs won't know and won't wa- shouldn't need to know, but as like framework developers and uh, UI developers. Somehow we need to know that box shadows are terrible for performance, and so we don't use box shadows.
1: It's it's almost like niche knowledge that you're gathering, yeah, and that must make you a really good partner to sort of like step into this conversation about stencil, stencil JS, because we're getting talk about web components, which are like yes, weird and new. I'm still discovering how to like use web components because I feel like there's not super user landy yet. If if you wanna if I want to build out an app, I still reach for your traditional tools but yeah let, let's let's maybe start with just what is a web component and why would a developer want to use it given that it's there's murky areas out there right now when learning them
0: Yeah, well I mean let's start with like the real basic uh, example of like a, of a component that exists in the web right now, and that's like an input tag An input tag has multiple parts inside of it like they have a part that You can type in, they have a part that you can use called placeholder. There is a caret position that you can control and that you can uh, interact with. All these are parts of an input that you never have to think about, right? You can style it, you can select certain attributes of it. And that is essentially what a web component is a bit of custom UI or elements that you can isolate to a single tag. Have it be hidden from the users, creating almost like a, a private component API. And then your users can um, use that component without having to understand the internal knowledge of how does it handle setting the border radius on on itself. It knows how to do that all internally. And you as a user, you just drop that tag into your, uh, your web page, your framework uh, app, or you know, WordPress widget. Uh, And it still works. Would
1: calling this a sort of like a top-level frameworkless React component for people coming from that world be a fair comparison?
0: The terminology that most people like try to use is a leaf component. It should be this own thing that is self-contained, doesn't need to talk to to other parts of the app. Like it could be very isolated. And it just knows I have a property or an attribute that I have exposed and that anytime value gets set on that, I know what to do with it. Like I can react to those changes outside of having the framework tell me how to re-render this web component knows what to do and knows how to re-render.
1: Do you think putting the onus of responsibility, such as rendering, such as border radius, such as things you might take for granted that when I slap an input button on a page, does that create... Does that sort of create a barrier of entry to the web component world where it's like you you should have some sort of like mid-tier fundamental basis of knowledge before you set forth creating modular things that other people might use?
0: I would I would say so. It it's it's part of the reasons why I think like web components aren't so ubiquitous. There's like a lot of little caveats about it that make them very challenging to get started with if you're used to coming from like Angular, Vue, React, going in and diving into Web Components right away, you're going to need to know a lot of niche knowledge on how, how, like, for instance, if you set a property on on something, that doesn't automatically get reflected to the attribute in a vanilla Web Component, which is completely different from, say, if you set a prop on a React component, it's automatically tracking that uh, between, you know, an input's value, and then the prop of value.
1: They're two different objects to the, to the DOM and how they're being handled under the hood. So
0: Rich Harris actually had a really great blog post about web components and uh, some of the little things that you don't know. It's a little older by now, but definitely something worth checking out.
1: So Rich Harris, and did you say that was a blog post? Yeah and we have other episodes on web components as well. If you're a listener and you want to learn more about it, I know we have at least one or two other more on the Pod Rocket epi- uh Pod Rocket podcast. Go check out one of those episodes for sure. This kind of leads me into our into our next segment here Mike, which is we've established that web components can maybe be a little unruly. You need to check yourself when you're stepping into that space. We brought you on to talk about Stencil JS cuz a viewer literally asked about it. Does Stencil in any way in your mind, make that barrier to entry easier, lower.
0: I would say it makes it easier, but also trades. There are trade offs of things, right? So with Stencil, just like for it's like no elevator pitch, it is a compiler for working with web components, um, and being a compiler is like a super important aspect of it. In that we know everything about your component um, at author time. So that way, when we go ahead and we run our build, we can generate optimized versions of what that will uh, look like in a vanilla web component. So we can handle the rendering, we can handle updating the props and attributes, and we can uh, manage all of the finer details of that component, uh, while giving you a simplified, you know, in my opinion, simplified API that you can use to compose uh, that component using familiar APIs from, like, Angular, React, uh, and
1: Vue. So it's sort of like an API to build web components that feels more familiar.
0: So, like, if you're used to, like, working with React, um, we're based on JSX um, as our templating uh, tooling. um, And, you know, that should be something that you as a React developer could look at and be like, all right, I kind of know what's going on here. Um, We have concepts of internal state that feel right to that feel similar to something like set state or in view uh, refs. We have a component and decorators that feel very familiar for folks from Angular, which allow you to set like the tag name where you can locate the styles and CSS assets and more decorators that exist throughout the entire component that really make the Plumbing work, much simpler to get started with.
1: So if I wanted to try like a hello world of using Stencil, what would that look like? Would I drop in, is it a library that I import? Because you mentioned compiling, that's an important piece to recognize about the responsibilities of Stencil. So where does that kind of fit into the development pipeline?
0: So the way we kind of think about it is it, it sits on a different, like, sits next to what would be your main app. Um, Like the easiest way to get started with it would just be run npm init Stencil. And then you'd be able to get like the components started with all the uh, configuration all done for you and wired up. But if you want to integrate it with like an existing system, you might want to do, look at things like a monorepo where the app can sit uh, in a similar situation next to like the components. And then you're just importing them and letting the monorepo manage, uh, pointing it to the right place. So it's not like a, another library uh, that you could just drop into your existing tooling. There is some work to uh, get started with it, which again, it's another barrier and trade-off that teams should consider and should be aware of upfront.
1: So when uh, you mentioned specifically like, okay, you want to build it at this step. Do you think, I'm just wondering if building it before we maybe do our regular build, is that some, a point you don't want to drive home? Because if I'm thinking like a typical monorepo setup, should I specifically be remembering, I got to go into that like pipeline, I got to make sure that this is being built beforehand, like is it, it's a dependency and it's just an extra thing we got to check in this process.
0: The, the way that I kind of see it, like an ideal situation is that there is a components team that is working internally, um, and they are just developing those components. And then you have your, your e-commerce team that's building your your, your storefront. And maybe you have a marketing team that is building some other assets. It's more of a a design systems approach where there is a core library that gets distributed to every other team. And it is just an implicit dependency that gets pulled in. Um, And monorepos at that point are just a way to do that. But you could still do that with like publishing it to a private NPM or or to public NPM and being able to pull that down um, every single time.
1: Right on. So it, it yeah, really depends. And it's it's malleable. And and I think one thing to note here is, too, you're emphasizing that this co- boils down to like a bigger design question But how are you organizing the teams and the way that like our pipeline of production flows, the way we do our sprints, because maybe this lends itself really well to having component library. Like you said, ideally, there'd be another team that's like giving it as a product to the builders.
0: That is a conversation that, you know, teams should have before just adopting any technologies. Like what's our overall flow gonna look like? But especially with 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 Stencil, being that it sits at a a unique cross-section of how components can get added to your app, you know, you need to be able to talk to different folks in your organization and make that decision of whether or not this is something that should be adopted. Or what needs do those other uh, folks in the organization have? And how can we accommodate that?
1: So if we want to step into the features of Stencil really quick, just to give people bird's eye view, like if they want to get excited and actually search it up after we finish talking about it. Like what's a feature that you f- might find a typical developer coming in and say, oh, wow, that's, that's like neat that I don't have to deal with that in the web component space. Stencil translates it in this easy to use way.
0: So I think one co- feature is this. At prop decorator, so we have decorators built into the entirety of our of stencil that will if for prop you can set a a value and then an internal kind of name like at prop first name uh, camel case and then that gets translated to first hyphen name and then there's also a class property a first camel case name where As values get set, it is updating the the attribute, the hyphenated version, and also updating the class property version as well. And it keeps those two in sync and lets you be able to just, hey, I don't care if it gets set on the element or if it gets set on the class. I just need to know that whatever the value of this is, do something with it internally, like render it inside of a tag, do something to it. Um, And it keeps that in sync and make sure that it is the right value all the time, no matter where you read it from. And
1: this is powerful because it's blurring the lines between like the two different paradigms that you'd find between like the props and the classes and it's like okay I got I'm taking care of you we're going to wrap this up into one nice API where like everything feels unilaterally accessible with the same pattern
0: like you don't need to worry too much about like attributes versus props it's it's all the same thing you just access it and yeah peace of mind
1: that's huge when you're developing i mean there's there, there's a lack of peace of mind when you're when you're writing things you got 10,000 ideas ping ponging around so peace of mind is a is a very valuable asset in um, organization, especially when it comes for free like that. That's, it, it's, it's always nice.
0: Like A really cool part of it, too, is that it is immutable internally. So if you have a prop and for some reason inside of a met component method, you decide to try to mutate it or change its value, it'll spit out a warning and then an actual runtime error saying, hey, props should only be changed from outside of the component. Don't do that. And you'll get all the, like, the linting errors, all of the static analysis and saying, don't do that. It's a bad thing to do. And you know it beforehand because we're a compiler and we can analyze the component and give you that detailed feedback.
1: It almost, so it sounds like it must do some sort of tracing about where did this value originally come from. I don't care if it looks like this. Where did, where did the information
0: come from? It's a very sophisticated build system built on top of TypeScript and all of the APIs inside of it are just transforms that happen. And because it's all TypeScript and we can have certain controls over what you are, what APIs you are using, we can get all that type information and feed it into TypeScript's diagnostics and then have that detailed reporting back to the user or your editor.
1: You're realistically using the power of TypeScript on like to fuel your entire uh, yeah orchestration. I mean that's huge. TypeScript is tried and true. Like everybody loves TypeScript. So yeah. What about wrappers, Mike? Like what is a wrapper component? I've never heard of this in the in the space. Why do I want it?
0: Without sounding like I'm picking on React, React is like one of the few frameworks that doesn't support uh, web components out of the box. And that's because of how React has synthetic events. And it also doesn't differentiate between a prop and an attribute. So there needs to be some some massaging to get the web component to work in a React context. So we, as part of the build process, have this concept called output targets or wrapper components where you can take the, the web component and then create a higher level proxy to that component, and it'll set up when, say, I have a, an event called on value change or value change. Uh, it'll go ahead and in the React context create on value change, and then it'll make sure that that is a valid React prop. And when that prop gets called, it'll tell it to emit the underlying event in the web component realm. And so we do this for Angular, uh, React, and Vue because React, React doesn't support web components that well. Angular can, but it doesn't understand. It needs to help to provide like type the information to the Angular compiler. And Vue also needs some help to be able to expose those components to something like their dev tools um, and their compiler as well.
1: So it's almost like you're saying, hey, framework, this component's going to exist here we're going to shove it in and just like, trust us, it's going to happen. And then they're like, okay, hands off, like they're going to take care of it. And that's what, that's what you mean by proxy, right?
0: Right. Like it, it's going to sit in there and it's like the, the view component that you end up using is almost like a meaning, meaningless component. It's a functional component in the sense that it's just going to return something else. It's more just about the orchestration of how the, Component should sit in the framework context, and then how should it handle the communication between events, props, down to the original web component.
1: So there's a lot of gluing layers that this proxy needs to do as well.
0: Unfortunately, it is one of the, you know, the downsides to it, but the benefit is that if you are someone who's creating a design systems, your teams can use those components and feel like they are just working with a React component or an Angular component, they don't actually need to care that it's a web component under the hood, which it might sound like a, like a very superficial thing in some cases, but developers really love using components and APIs that feel at home to their framework of choice. And once you add something in there that doesn't feel you know, framework native, they feel like, mm, I don't like this that much. So the wrapper
1: components, is that specific to Stencil? Do we, is that like a feature of Stencil in the compilation process?
0: Yeah, I would say it's a feature of Stencil. There are other frameworks like Lit also has that as well. But ours are something that you just set up in your config. And then as you go through and you run your Stencil build, it'll automatically generate that for you um, without you having to do anything It'll just handle it.
1: So if I'm using Stencil and I want to write my first web component today, what am I going to write it in? Is this like JavaScript and HTML? I've never written a web component, Mike.
0: So this is going to be all in well, it's called TSX. So TypeScript JSX. So you're going to be using JSX. You're going to be using classes. Um, and you are going to be authoring it out like it's an old... Uh, Pre hooks React component with your JSX, your render, but you're also going to be having these directives to handle the higher level orchestration. It's not going to be HTML until you get to the time when you need to consume that component. So if you know a little bit of React, uh, you can get up and start uh, up and running rather quickly.
1: Because you're already using TSX. Yeah. What do you think
0: about uh,
1: TSX versus? typescript and, and, and native technologies in general.
0: I was not a fan originally. Was. Uh, uh, yeah, I was not. I didn't think because it's not technically HTML and not to say I'm a purist, but it felt very far removed. And there was a lot of different context changes that you needed to make to be able to like, OK, well, now I got to remember, add the curly braces to be able to do a map and be able to like iterate over it. Now, I mean, I, I don't care too much. It's just a way to get things done. Um, and there's other problems I'd rather have arguments about on JSX or TSX is just, it is what it is. I'll, I'll, I'll get over it. I think it's just
1: worth noting it in, in the show because you yourself, like, we're talking about a pretty... Well-developed, well-thought-out technology here, which is Stencil, like the bleeding edge of web development. And I think it's worth noting that, like even somebody like yourself, there's still qualms with like TSX, and it gets the job done. And I think a lot of people are in a similar boat where they're like, "It's fine, you know." But it's just, it, it's some it's something to be said. Like it's not perfect, and and don't treat it as such. Maybe if you're using it,
0: cause I jump around between React Vue, Angular, solid. So, like, all of these different approaches, they're all generally doing the same thing. It's just, you know, one happened to be painted blue, one happens to be painted pink, one happens to be painted yellow. It's, it's all doing the same thing under the hood, just different approaches to doing it. Is Stencil going to
1: be continuously released like through ionic is it released through its own separate project
0: yeah so they're actually internally it's two different teams stencil is just another project that we build and we have its own dedicated dev team for it we at we on the ionic framework side are just probably one of the bigger consumers of it and you know obviously we originally built it for ourselves but we now have it taking input from various different teams and community members. So it's it's on its own release schedule. It's on its own cadence. Um, They have syncs every now and then just to make sure like features are going to work together. But it is its own thing uh, with its own thriving community as well.
1: Do you see any um, non-stencil exciting things coming out from Ionic in Q2?
0: We're doing a lot of work with our next major version of Ionic. Um, it'll be a V7. It's going to be coming out at some point in v- in uh, this maybe second quarter. But don't quote me on that. Dates are a very hard thing to pinpoint. Um, but yeah, we got our V7, which will include, you know, a new upbra- upgraded version to Stencil 3. We also have like a bunch of like work in our native uh, technology side of the house where it's going to be easier to add a native control into an existing native app uh, and then have a web version of that be rendered. So we have this thing called Micro Front Ends for mobile, which you can go ahead and just pop in a little, uh, what we call a portal uh, into your app and it will load up a whole uh, web storefront or web UI uh, in an existing native app. So a lot of cool things happening.
1: Well, that's going to need to be something we'll have you on in the podcast for the future. If people want to hear about that let us know Uh, that's that sounds wild because mobile development is always like different from web development they're like always on this path of convergence and I'm like are they going to be the same not that they ever will be but soon (laughs) Mike says soon I like that I like the sound of that one Mike is where can people find you if they want to listen to you on Twitter or Medium do you do you go on Twitter you Twitter
0: I I still have Twitter I'm not leaving just yet but I'm also not doing so much on there anymore just because it's so exhausting but also mastodon isn't that great for for as great as people say it is not it's not for me but you can find me on there i will post uh, m hardington like the real original first initial last name and that's basically my handle everywhere
1: well mike thank you for your time coming on and talking about stencil i certainly learned a little bit about the complexities of web components and maybe they're a little less scary now for people who want to go check them out because having a opinionated framework to lead you through like discovering how they're built is a great way to learn of components as well so yeah thank you for your time
0: and to you around yeah thanks for having me